your attention, as I've said in the past, your attention is the most finite and precious resource you have. It is non-renewable and on a daily basis, you only have so many hours and in your life, you only have so many hours. Being a careful steward of this resource of your attention and your focus and ensuring that it's used to your best advantage makes life a lot more rewarding and allows you to be as efficient as you reasonably can. This is super important when it relates to personal finances. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Justin coming with a solo episode today, number 124. Today, I want to talk about turbocharging your financial progress by looking at an important neurological reality around decision-making. Let's start with a story. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever renovated a house or built a custom house. If you have, you already understand where I'm going as it relates to decision-making. You've got a million decisions to make in this process, and if you're not careful, you're going to get decision-fatigued before you get to anything important. About eight years ago, I very slowly and painstakingly, using a lot of YouTube and the help of qualified friends, renovated a row home in West Philadelphia. Two years of hammer swinging, chop sawing, drywall hanging toil, that was nevertheless one of the more rewarding things I've ever done, and it was a ton of fun. I was, at the time, not savvy to the idea of decision fatigue. And here's what I found. Because this was, in this case, a substantive renovation, basically full demolition and rebuild of a 1,200-square-foot, three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath row home, I was making many decisions by myself. Where am I sourcing two-by-fours from? What day should they be delivered? Where should they be stacked when they're delivered? Should supply plumbing be copper? or pecs? Should the bar be 36 inches tall or 42? There were a million little microscopic decisions to be made, and I made every single one of them. Eventually in this process, it got to the point where I needed to pick out paint colors, countertops, finishes, cabinets, things that are, (laughs) when you're looking at a house, literally all that you see. By the time I got to this point in the process, over a year in, after all the demolition and a lot of the framing and everything had been done, and the plumbing and the HVAC, I was so tired of making decisions. I was so fatigued. I I got to the point where I literally didn't even care about any of it. So I was, in my emotional exhaustion, forced to conscript willing friends and family members, anyone else who could form a reasonable opinion on these aesthetic questions, and I had them make many of these important decisions. This is the deep irony. All of my effort in this big project was spent on things that most people would never see and that in many cases were totally immaterial to the final outcome. Fortunately, it turned out fine, mostly thanks to my mom and aunt who helped with all the paint colors and some of the design in the kitchen and all that. Uh, But that brings me to today's point. It's my belief that some of the most important thinking that we do as humans is what we call metacognition. So thinking about thinking. (laughs) For most listeners of this podcast, your attention, 
as I've said in the past, your attention is the most finite and precious resource you have. It is non-renewable, and on a daily basis, you only have so many hours, and in your life, you only have so many hours. Being a careful steward of this resource, of your attention and your focus, and ensuring that it's used to your best advantage makes life a lot more rewarding and allows you to be as efficient as you reasonably can. This is super important when it relates to personal finances. Imagine if I would have started designing my kitchen and master bath before deciding what type of concrete would have been the best to parge the basement walls. Uh, that would have been the proper order of events from an emotional energy standpoint. <laughs> and yet, lesson learned. So here's the point of today's episode and where we're going to go together. Making proactive decisions about how you make decisions is immensely valuable. This will help preserve the precious and finite store that you have of real mental energy and free you up to do your best work and make the most progress you can with the least amount of effort. Here is one stunning statistic that I uncovered as I was doing research for this episode. The average adult makes about 35,000 decisions per day. This, to me, as a non-neuroscientist, <laughs> was mind-boggling. And I think it has significant implications for anyone who wants to focus on making the right decisions. It, uh, the brain demands 20% of the energy usage consumed by a human at their resting metabolic rate. So when you're just sitting on a couch for 24 hours, of all the calories that you burn, of all your muscles and organs and everything, your brain burns 20% of the total use. So when it comes to decisions, you want to make sure not only that you're making the right decision in any given decision, but also that the decisions you decide that you have to make are the right decisions. If there's a decision that doesn't need to be made, do yourself a favor and just ignore it. Take a pocket veto and don't exert any mental or emotional energy towards deciding something. Um, a great practical example is the Supreme Court does this. Whenever they have a case that is pushed onto their docket, some parties are seeking a legal opinion on a certain issue, there are certain things they say, you know what, this isn't important. We're not going to hear this case. Humans need to be proactive in doing this if they're going to make sure they have emotional reserve to make decisions that matter. Um, another example everyone can probably relate to, uh, when you sit down <laughs> and open Netflix, do you start from zero and spend, you know, an hour, <laughs> half an hour? And I've, I've been in the room where this has happened with my friends. We're going to watch a movie and it takes somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes uh, to, <laughs> to make a decision. That drives me absolutely nuts. You probably don't do this. In general, what you probably do is you pick the next episode of the season of TV that you're in the middle of because that's much less metabolically taxing. Uh, that can be a, you know, a helpful mechanism when it comes to something like what TV should we watch. Researchers at Cornell University have estimated that we make something like 226 decisions every day on food alone, which you know, for myself, <laughs> this is an area where I've been pretty ruthless in skinnying down the decision-making. My wife, Sarah, <laughs> knows that she'll ask me what I want to get for dinner, and it's always either let's get a burrito or let's get a pizza, in part because I don't feel like thinking up something more fancy, and I want to reserve my powers of cognition for something creative and impactful. Of course, anyone else who's married out there knows that when your spouse asks you, what do you want to do for dinner, that's not really what they're asking. Um, and <laughs> actually, if we look at this circumstance in the context of the metabolic load of decision-making, 
it makes perfect sense when your spouse asks you, where do you want to go to eat? If you say, wherever you want, babe. In some cases, you're not actually liberating your spouse to choose something that they want. What you're doing is you're pushing off a cognitively demanding task to generate an opinion about something, in which case your spouse might not love that because you're just shoving it back onto them and it might not work out that well. At least that's what I've heard from friends who have had to deal with this circumstance. I don't know anything about this firsthand. But when your spouse asks you, where do you want to go out to eat? Maybe they know that you would just eat a burrito yourself, but really what your spouse is asking is saying, hey, honey, can you try to think of a place that we would all like to go out to eat and exert the uh, metabolically taxing cognition in order to do that? That is a totally different question, and it could change the way you respond. And this is all rooted in decision-making science, which <laughs> is fascinating how much it trickles down into the everyday mundane circumstances. So here's the point. Reserve your attention and your limited decision-making energy for decisions of significance. One way to do this is to focus on important decisions, and another is to eliminate immaterial decisions. So in the time that we have remaining, I want to talk to you about how to preserve cognitive effort to enhance your wealth-building journey rather than deplete your attention on things that don't matter. This is an idea that I'm borrowing from Tim Ferriss's blog, I've mentioned him in the past. His podcast is one that I like, and I'm going to link to the blog post in the show notes, apmsuccess.com slash 124. You can check out the show notes there. How do you make one decision to eliminate a thousand others? And are there ways you can do that in your life? Specifically, we're going to look at, are there ways in your personal finances where you can make one decision to eliminate the mental load associated with many other decisions? Tim borrows this idea, Tim Ferriss borrows this idea from business mavens Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, where he explores what really characterizes the companies that last and endure, as well as Greg McKeon, who is the author of Essentialism, which is the book about skinning down your life to only the most important elements. So I'm going to talk a little bit about cash flow, a little bit about investments, and give you some food for thought, some ideas. This, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because of the lawyers. This is not investment, tax, or legal advice. It is for educational purposes only, and perhaps entertainment purposes, hopefully both. Please consult with your personal financial advisor before making any type of life-altering financial decision. The first decision that can eliminate other decisions has to do with what I call macro versus micro budgeting. And what I would propose is make a decision towards macro budgeting and away from micro budgeting. So micro budgeting is a cognitive morass where volition goes to die, <laughs> in my humble opinion. Is it really necessary that you look at your budget every month, line by line, and compare the $65 that you spent on lattes to the $40 that you aspired to spend on lattes, where then you will beat yourself up for a few seconds and move on to the next category, continuing this self-flagellation until you're absolutely exhausted? I would propose that it is not, in fact, necessary to live your life this way, especially when you're a physician earning a significant income. You do need to do some measure of budgeting, but what I think you could or should do is a, a micro or a macro budget. In other words, when it comes to lifestyle, set fixed expenses at a threshold that allows you to not worry about variable expenses. And in so doing, free up the mental load associated with the line-by-line -line budgeting method. For example, make a proactive decision to say, I'm going to live in a smaller house and I'm never going to worry about a bar tab. 
because you only have to buy a house once. But if you go out to eat once or twice a week, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, you know, mental load associated with all those purchases. You might say, I'm going to drive a more modest car, and in exchange, I'm not going to worry about hiring a house cleaner every two weeks to clean my house. Again, you buy a car once every handful of years, the, the house cleaning service is every two weeks. This is an example of pushing your energy in the direction of a decision where you free yourself financially to not have to worry about all of the recurring expenses. This is a personal conviction of mine that I feel strongly about and I'm absolutely a fan of, but obviously everyone needs to approach this differently based on your own preferences for spending. Second example of what is one decision you can make to eliminate a thousand other decisions. One is, and I do this personally and I help my clients think through how this principle might apply to them. It does apply to some and doesn't apply to everyone, but here's an idea that you could consider. I don't do illiquid investments. Specifically what I mean is, I only invest in something where I can impact the outcome or where I can turn it into cash in within a day or two. I encourage my clients to think this way. If you're a doctor, there's a million salespeople, financial salespeople out there selling investments in businesses, real estate ventures, close-end funds, private equity, et cetera. There's a lot of great investments out there, but that's exactly the point. There's also a lot of not that great investments out there. If an investment for me is going to tie up my cash and I can't get my cash out of the investment within a few days and I don't have decision-making power in that organization or in that business or I don't have the ability to meaningfully contribute to the outcome, categorically, I don't do it, I don't consider it, there's no due diligence that happens and I just free up all of this mental space as a result of all this work I don't have to do. Now, I'm not talking about, for example, a surgery center, which is very common for physicians to buy in. To some extent, you can impact the outcome. You may have decision-making power. That can be a good wealth-building mechanism. Great. So that's a separate category. Practice buy-in. Similarly, it's a separate category. You may have decision-making power. Um, they are illiquid, but there's other risks built into that. But here's, here's really what I'm trying to avoid with this category of illiquid investments. Number one is I don't want to get my cash locked up in an investment that I can't control and can't sell. And number two, most importantly, as it relates to today's discussion, I don't have to do any investment due diligence on any of these ideas because I categorically say, no, not interested. That's one decision that frees up many, many others. Now, one exception to this might be if you have a couple million in net worth already and you're looking at ways to further diversify your personal investments, then it might make sense for clients like that. But for, for people who are still in the accumulation phase, paying off debt, paying off a mortgage, and on this side of financial independence, I think this makes a lot of sense. One final example, as it relates to investments, because this is a real-world example. This came in my inbox two days ago. I don't pick individual securities. And I encourage my clients, uh, you know, is this a way you want to spend your finite energy, the, the cognitive power? Do you want to be thinking about stocks? Do you want to be thinking about Bitcoin? Do you want to be thinking about Tesla? I categorically say no to this. I don't do it. I, I don't have to evaluate, is Tesla getting too expensive at this price? Is Facebook's switch to the metaverse going to be a colossal failure? I had a client this week, I alluded to, ask me about Rivian's IPO. If you're asking, what is Rivian? <laughs> my response is, that's exactly my point. Rivian is an electric car manufacturer that's now valued, I found out today, at a price higher than Ford Motor Company in terms of total market cap. 
This is an IPO, an initial public offering, where this company that used to be private that built electric vehicles is now uh, issuing stock on the New York Stock Exchange. I categorically don't have to do any IPO research for Rivian or any other company because I say no to individual security offerings. I don't need to compare Rivian to Tesla and decide which company has the better electric technology. That's a, a due diligence rabbit hole that would just gobble up so much of my life. I, I don't care to do it. Um, I encourage my clients in this same philosophy because when you're buying stocks, you're competing against institutional investors with nearly unlimited financial means, computing power, algorithmically driven trading platforms on proprietary technology, and you're just, <laughs> the deck is stacked. The deck is stacked against you when you're playing that game. Um, even just looking at what happened with Robinhood, you know, a very popular app for trading stocks that they were found to be selling the orders or at least uh, routing information related to those orders to big hedge funds who could then transact on the information that they were receiving from retail investors who were using the app. So it just reinforces this idea. It's very, very difficult to make money above and beyond long-term market returns when you're playing that game. So I don't compete in this way. I don't have to do that to succeed. Neither do my clients. So I've categorically said I'm making this decision. I'm not buying individual securities because I don't have to. I'm, I'm using more broadly diversified strategies for long-term investment. So these are three financial examples of decisions to eliminate that can liberate you to spend your effort in more productive directions. Preserve your attention, preserve your cognition, Develop your metacognitive framework and you will go far. I must end by saying, happy Thanksgiving. Count your many blessings this week. Pile on the turkey and mashed potatoes. I am again grateful that you've chosen to spend some of your valuable attention with me this week on anesthesia and pain management success. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.